begin reading in verse number 33, Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33. And keep your Bibles handy. We're going to not be throughout the Bible today, but mostly in this area, this region of Scripture. So just keep your Bibles handy. We've got a lot of verses to look at. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33. And we find the very first word is a single letter word. I've said this so often times. It's a word of expression. Oh, and when the writers of Scripture put this word in, usually, it was because the, uh, the emotion, I guess, would be the best way to say it, that they had with regards to the truth that they were getting ready to express. Uh, every once in a while, uh, I, I was, we've been dealing with the subject of law and grace in Sunday morning. I think one of the great, great teachings of Scriptures, the teaching in Galatians between law and grace. And uh, that first week, as I was just going through some of the, the early teachings of the book of Galatians, knowing where I was going uh, with it, I, I was already excited about it. And I wished y'all could have experienced some of the joy, excitement I had about teaching on the issue of law and grace and how salvation is by faith alone and uh, the importance of that doctrine. And, um, and and just there was an excitement because I knew what was yet to come. I hadn't even taught it yet, but I knew where I was going with it and where the Scriptures went with it. And I think this is the case. As Paul is getting ready to express a, a truth of Scripture that really is an astounding thing when humans think about it. And I've heard some people say that the expression, oh, is, is really closer to a groan, almost, uh, of emotion. As they express, oh, and let's see what he's going to say here. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him and through Him... And to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Father, we pray that You'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. May there be some things that we can learn today that we can hold very near to our hearts, realizing that they come from Your mind, not the thoughts of men, not the philosophies, not the vain deceits of this world, but things that have come straight from your heart and your mind. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at these things, you will help us to not only rejoice in them, that we can have some indication of what your mind is on some of these subjects, but that we can rejoice in the fact that we can allow the portions of your mind that you've allowed us to see to become the same thoughts that we have, to become part of what our minds are made up of to become the thrill of our hearts, to become the, 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 the hungering and the thirsting of our souls to accomplish in our lives because we know them to be of your mind and of your heart. Bless the time that we spend here together. May it be profitable to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The argument is made here as we get to verse number 34. Uh, Paul, after he makes this expression of the, uh, the, uh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God and how unsearchable are His judgments, he asks uh, a, uh, a question. Uh, he's not expecting an answer from it. He's, he's making a point with it. He says in verse number 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And the answer to that, of course, is, is no one has known the mind of the Lord, not in its entirety. 
And yet the Bible tells us that we're to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's revealed some of His mind to us. And aren't we grateful for that? He's done that through His Word. And He's done that through the illuminating teaching of His Holy Spirit as we come to His Word. To help us to understand it. Because there's some thoughts that are given in Scripture that, to be honest with you, our, our frail human minds have a hard time grasping the concept of it. And God's thoughts are so clearly given in Scripture that He's choos- chosen to reveal to us. And yet even some of those are hard for us to understand. And so the, the, Paul writes this, he says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? I mean, is there anybody that can counsel the Lord? That can give him insight into a decision he needs to make? No, because he is self-sufficient. And he even goes on to say this in verse number 36, he says, For of him uh, and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. No one needs to add to God. God is not deficient in any way. And, and so Paul tells us this, as he speaks in verse number 33, he says, Oh, the riches of this, this fullness of this knowledge and wisdom of God that He has chosen to reveal to us. There's great riches in this. There's, there's great wealth in this. There's great uh, value to this, to the human mind, to have an, a, just a glimmer, a hope of knowing a portion of what God's thoughts are on something. So much so that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Uh, Psalm 119 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. There ought to be a joy found in knowing things that reveal the mind of God to us. And Paul's getting ready to share some things under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God that reveal to us the mind of God. Uh, if you ever get an opportunity to Listen to an older preacher, a fellow by the name of Raymond Barber, if you've never heard him before, a tremendous preacher of the gospel. Every time I've ever heard Brother Barber preach, when he gets up to preach, he begins quoting Scripture. And he'll spend the first 10 or 15 or 20 minutes of his message doing nothing but quoting Scripture without comment. He may throw a poem or something in there in the midst of all of it, and he, he'll, he'll say, uh, the Bible is reveals to us the mind of God. And right before he gives his text, he'll say this. He'll say, let's see what God is thinking now as we turn into, and he'll give his text. Because the truth is, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us. And so we're going to borrow that phrase from him. Let's see what God is thinking now, shall we? As we go into Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at several verses here. And we begin with Paul beseeching. He's, he's, by strong argument, asking some things. He says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so Paul makes a statement here. Not only is he asking and beseeching some things here, but he's making an indication that a, a normal conduct of a Christian, the normal conduct, the the reasonable service is what he calls it. This is Christianity 101. This is the norm. This is what, if somebody's trusted Christ as their Savior, it's just we just know this is what it's supposed to be. That the truth is, from, from chapter 12, verse number 1, that this acceptable thing, this, this, um, this reasonable service, is that we take our bodies and we make our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. This is the mind of God. This is His heart. 
This is His desire, that we take our bodies and we give them to the altar of His will. In other words, we're saying, Lord, I don't want what I want in my life. I want what You want. We've talked about this so often that really the secret of the Christian life, and if we could ever grasp this and know it fully, uh, I'd be without a job as a pastor. Because the secret of the Christian life literally is one decision. My way or His way. My will or God's will. And you say, well, I want to live a victorious Christian life. Then that's the decision you've got to make. And it literally boils down to that single, simple decision. My will or His will. If we could ever grab a hold of that, you wouldn't have to sit here in the afternoon and listen to 30 minutes of me preaching while you've had a big meal and you're tired. We could just say the statement, go home and be like, boy, that's it. I've got to live that, that decision my week, this week. Because the Christian life, the success in the Christian life, the victory of the Christian life is found in that one decision. Now, that's not that simple because we're going to give you about 17 points. <laughs> not quite that many. But I do want you to look at verse number 6. And I want to, we're going to look at several practical things that Paul gives. I like when the Bible's very practical, don't you? I like when it, it, just, it hits the nerve of something that will help me today in my life. And so Paul does. He, he speaks about the unsearchableness of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that we're to yield our bodies as uh, uh, sacrifices to Him, living sacrifices to Him. This is the heart, the mind of God. And he's going to give us some teaching now in chapter six, or, uh, verse number 6 of chapter 12, all the way down through about chapter, or verse number 17 or so, of some very, very practical things that are the mind of God in how you and I as God's people, as His children, are to live. How, what's our conduct supposed to be like? How are we supposed to live day by day? So let's see what God's thinking about as we get to verse number 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And I'm going to stop there for just a moment and say this. Uh, there are differences of gifts. There were some gifts in Scripture that... Uh, were given to the early church and to the apostles that are not in existence today. We call those sign gifts. They were gifts there during the transitional time of the book of Acts in the early church to do nothing more than to validate the message that they were teaching and preaching at the time. And the fact that by the time of Paul's ministry, at the end of his ministry already, many of those apostolic gifts or sign gifts were already disappearing. These would include such things as uh, the speaking in tongues, uh, the miraculous healing uh, that was taking place by the apostles speaking and people being healed or laying hands on them and being healed, those things were already passing off the scene even before the apostle Paul passed away. However, there are gifts, the Bible speaks of very clearly, that God gives to every man according to his several ability and according to the grace that he's given to them. And Paul's going to deal with some of these gifts. Now, one of them that he mentions here, you've got to keep in mind, Paul is still living in the first century church. And as he mentions this, we get to verse number uh, 6. He says, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith." Now, I'm going to say a word about this before we move on to the rest of them. At the time that Paul wrote, all of Scripture had not yet been written. There were still some Scripture to be given. God does not give new revelation in the day that we live. We have a completed revelation of God. And because of that, God does not give any new prophecy today. God still gives us prophecy, but it's found in His Word. And only the prophecy that's in there is of God. And if you have somebody come to you and say, God has given me a word of prophecy, and it's something that is not found in Scripture, then you can say, he, you might have got it from somewhere, but you didn't get it from God. You probably got it from the pizza you ate last night or something else. Uh, but God does still give words of prophecy to us, but He does it through His Word. As we read that and we have full understanding of it, we understand that prophecy. 
He doesn't give us something new that's not going to be found in Scripture. So understand that that's one of the gifts that he mentions here that we do not experience today. But as we get to verse 7, it's important for us to understand that he does still give gifts. And so in verse number 7, he says, Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. And that means to to be able to to, uh, do the work of it and to be able to perform the idea of ministry. Not everybody is called or has that gift of being a minister to somebody. And the idea of ministering is to find the needs of someone, uh, to bind up the wounds of someone, to come behind and try to be uh, an encouragement and a blessing to them, to mentor them along. And this would be the gift of ministering. There are people that are not preachers of the gospel, as far as standing behind pulpits, that have a gift of ministering. They just have a knack of helping people and being an edifier and a help to them and an encouragement to them in their Christian life. They, they encourage, they stimulate growth in your Christian life just because of their encouragement and their presence in your life. So there are some gifts that God gives in this way. There are some of us that are to be ministering, or the Bible says, He that teacheth on teaching. And so some of us have maybe perhaps a, a, an enabling of the Lord to be gifted in the area of teaching. We're able to take something we've learned and teach it to someone else. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Uh, again, the idea of encouraging, putting the, uh, the motivation into them about living for the life that God has given. Then he goes on to say this. He that giveth. So giving is one of these gifts, believe it or not. And there are some people that are gifted in giving, some people that are not gifted in giving. All right? Uh, and uh, God, God only knows, and will confirm that to your heart, what He's given to you to do. But in giving, notice what he says here. He says, let him do it with simplicity. Let him do it with simplicity. This is within the lines of other portions of Scripture that Christ speaks on with regards to our giving. The idea that it's done with simplicity. It's not done uh, in a public way. It's not done in a way of trying to bring glory to you for all your giving and all the things that you've done. It's to be done uh, without the right hand really even knowing what the left hand is doing, supposedly. And to give your alms uh, in secret, and to give uh, and let God, uh, you know, deal with that as He will, and He'll give His own reward. Uh, but He tells those that have this gift, that have the ability to give, when you give, give with simplicity. And again, Paul is saying this is this is what God's mind is on these things. This is what God's heart is. That when we give, we need to give with simplicity. He that ruleth, those that have position of leadership. Uh, to do it with diligence, that means he's to put his, his hand to the plow in this area of leadership, and that he's to do it well. Um, he's to take the responsibility uh, soberly and not, not, uh, not carelessly. He's to put his hand to it and to do it as, uh, to the best of his ability. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Um, Our human nature does not like to show mercy, and when it does, it does so usually begrudgingly. But to show mercy with cheerfulness. This is the mind of God. This is what our hearts should be like when we're we're dealing with things of a merciful nature. And uh, then he starts to get into some more practical things here. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Uh, It's not to be a, a facade. It's not to be a fakery. It's not to be something done insincerely. But when we, when we show or express our love to someone, it needs to be in genuineness of spirit. It needs to be with an absolute genuineness of heart. Uh, oftentimes, when I'm talking with someone, and especially if they've been going through a hard time and I've 
been trying to help them or something, as I hang up the phone with them or as we get done praying together, I usually say, Brother, I love you and I'm praying for you. Be careful using that word carelessly or callously. By the time we get to that point where we say, Brother, I love you and I'm praying for you, there needs to be a genuineness of that. I truly love this brother in Christ. I'm, I'm burdened about his burden. I'm bearing it with him. I'm praying. I'm entering the, into fellowship and prayer with him over the issue because I have a love for him. This, this is the mind of God that we, as God's people, learn to love without dissimulation. Be careful using that word careful, carelessly or, or casually. Um, I, I tell my mom every time I hang up the phone with her, Mom, I love you. And I'm careful that I don't just let that be something I say at the end of it. I want, I want to know when I tell my mom I love her after I hang up the phone that I've, I've meant that from the bottom of my heart. If we're not careful, we'll use this word love uh, carelessly, callously. In the Christian life, I think it needs to have a depth of sincerity about it. The Bible teaches we're to love without dissimulation. Notice this. He says, abhor that which is evil. Well, we need to have a revival of this in our midst of Christians' lives. We do not think of sin as being sinful anymore. We have our pet sins. We have our, our sins that we don't like to talk about a whole lot because we kind of enjoy them. The Bible says we need to abhor them. They, they sent my Savior to the cross. They will take our lives and all of the things that God has in store for us to do in the way of service, in the way of testimony, can be destroyed if we do not abhor sin. Our, our life can be literally wrecked on the rocks of sinfulness if we get to the place where we no longer abhor sin. Uh, we, in recent days, have been trying to point out some very very serious things in our society, in our culture, from a biblical perspective, because I want our people to be aware of the wickedness and the sinfulness of our world, and, and not to be caught unawares of it, and not to get to the place where we think too lightly of some of it. We need to learn to abhor sin. There needs to be more preaching on it. There needs to be more teaching on it. Can I say this? Beyond the preaching and teaching, there need to be more of God's people that will look into God's Word and just realize the sinfulness of sin. The importance that you understand, not just because preacher said it or because there was a message that was done on it, but I can read the Bible and I can find God's heart on the matter of sin. And again, he tells us here that our reaction to it ought to be that we abhor it. Not that we condone it, not that we accept it, not that we're silent on it, but that we abhor it. It's something that we detest, something we can't stand, something we hate. There needs to be a revival of God's people in this area. Abhor that which is evil. Notice he says this, cleave to that which is good. And can I say this, that the strength with which we abhor our sin will oftentimes dictate how much we will cleave to that which is good and vice versa. To what extent we will cleave to that which is good often will dictate how much we will abhor that which is evil. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You're going to cleave the one and hate the other, or you're going to hate the one and despise, or love the one and despise the other. You're not going to be able to serve both of them. And it is impossible for us to cleave to that which is good if we cannot abhor that which is evil. And the level at which we do each of those is dependent upon the opposite being true of the other. You want to say, well, I, I wish I could love good more than, than hate evil more. Or I wish I could hate sin more than love that which is good more. You, you know, it's hard. <clears throat> it's hard to hate sin when you're involved in it. But when you begin to look into Scripture and say, boy, I see the heart of God, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are right, these types of things, I'm going to think on these things. I'm going to saturate my heart 
with the things that God tells me are good. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I'm going to, I'm going to add to my faith virtue and the virtue knowledge and the knowledge brotherly kindness and, and so on and go all the way through these things that the Bible says are good things. And as I cleave to those things, I will begin to have more of an abhorrence for those things that are evil. But if I begin to cleave to the things that are evil, I'm not going to have the abhorrence for it. I'm not going to cleave to the things that are good. These are the mind of God on these things. He says we're to abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. He goes on to say, here's another practical one. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. I was uh, spending some time uh, just a few moments ago uh, with uh, uh, Brother Rich and, and they, we were talking a little bit about the, the benefit of, of just even the fellowship time downstairs and how it has knit the hearts of our people and the brotherly kindness that there is the love for one another that there seems to be in our church. That ought to be the normal thing in the Christian life. These are the things that God just kind of expects there to be in the Christian life. And as we begin to see those things drift, we ought to, we ought to say, Lord, bring us back to this point again. There ought to be a brotherly kindness. I'm thankful that here we have a, an affection one for another and we honor, uh, in honor preferring one another. I was telling them uh, during the time we had that big rash of COVID, we had a number of our families out, probably eight or ten, twelve of our families out at one time. I, I, had, I don't know how many times I got a phone call or a text from somebody that was on their own deathbed, on their own sickbed, if you will, of COVID. And they would call and they would say, Pastor, can you go over and check on so-and-so and take this to them? They need this. And, and it blessed my heart as a pastor because they weren't calling and saying, Pastor, could you come bring something to me? Here they are on their deathbed, their sickbed, calling one another saying, How are you doing? What do you need? Do you need something? Is there something I can do for you? And, and we can't even crawl out of their own bed to do it. And I thought, boy, what a blessing as a pastor to have a church that cares for another. And folks, it didn't happen just once or twice. I mean, my phone was ringing off the hook for about five days. And I don't think there was one call or text where somebody said, could you help me? It was always, I was talking to so-and-so, can you go and help them? Boy, what a blessing. What a blessing. Brotherly kindness and kindly affectionate one to another. Notice he says this, verse number 11, not slothful in business. Christians ought not be slothful in business. There ought to be some strength of character, some strength of integrity in the Christian life. It's amazing to me how oftentimes I have been in workplaces over the years and some of the Christian folks that came in and said, I'm a Christian, were some of the poorest employees. What a sad testimony. So much so that sometimes they cringed when somebody said, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. The owner would, would automatically have in their mind, boy, I don't know if I want to hire another Christian. On another side of that coin, there have been a few places I've been in my life where people said, well, we had a couple of fellows in here that were Christians. They were some of the best employees I ever had. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. This is the heart of God on this issue. These are words that were given to the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This isn't Paul's prescription. This isn't Paul's idea. This is what God thinks about the issue. That in areas of business, you and I as God's people, if anybody ought to be honest, if anybody ought to be a, a good work ethic, if anybody ought to be the one that is full of integrity, it ought to be Christians. Above all. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Can I tell you that one of the great minds of God, one of the great thoughts of God is that Christians rejoice in the hope 
And we spoke about that hope last hour, that it's not a wishful thinking. It is an expectation that is based on the gracious promises of God. That we're looking forward to it. It hadn't happened yet, but I know it's going to, and I have hope in it. That we rejoice in that. That is something that is the heart of God. That you and I rejoice in these things. I get so tired of seeing Christians walk around, and you're almost scared to ask them how they're doing. You're afraid they're going to tell you. And then you're going to be like, what in the world? I mean, Christians, I, how, many of you, how many of you have some problem you're dealing with right now? Okay, I expect every hand to go up somewhere, okay? We all have problems. We don't need, we don't need to go around focused on our problems. I'm okay with sharing a burden and saying, brother, can you pray about it? Boy, let me tell you how good God's been now. We need to rejoice in the hope that we have. God has been so good to us. He has blessed us in ways that we have not deserved. We need to learn to rejoice. I'm convinced that this world looks at a lot of people who name the name of Christ and have no desire to have what we have because they don't see any difference. Where's the joy of the Christian life? If a lost person asks you how you're doing, you need to rejoice in what God's done for you. You say, boy, I'm going through a hard time, Pastor. Tell them what God did for you. It won't take you long to get in a good mood. Rejoice in what He's done for you. Get your eyes off the circumstances and start rejoicing in truth. Notice He says this, patient in tribulation. This is the heart of God, that we be patient in tribulation. We already taught on this in Romans chapter number 5 earlier today. Tribulation brings patience in our life. And we need to be patient in it. We need to be long-suffering in it. Continuing instant in prayer. At any moment to be able to come to the Lord in prayer. You know what was said of Charles Spurgeon? Often by his friends. We never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. He would transition so seamlessly between normal everyday conversation with somebody and his conversation with God. They could not often tell when he was speaking to them and when he was speaking to God. Can I tell you, our relationship with God ought to be that close. It ought to be the normal thing we do to go to prayer. Not something that we have to make ourselves do. Not something that we have to schedule the time to do. I remember working for my dad for 12 years as a staff member. And I remember that he was very busy. And I was very busy. We each had our responsibilities. There were times that I had to say, Dad, can we meet at 3 o'clock? Can I tell you, God is never that busy. I don't have to schedule an appointment with Him. I can come to Him at any moment. And by the way, ought to. Do you realize that there are far more things you and I ought to pray over that we do than what we do? There are far more things that God wants to be involved in in our life if we would just simply ask Him to. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, verse number 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In most of your ways, in, in some of your ways, in a lot of your ways, wait, what does it say? In what? All thy ways. Acknowledge Him. In all thy ways? Acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. Folks, we need to learn to be instant in prayer. We pray when our devotion time comes. We pray at dinner time. Do we pray with Him throughout the day? It's interesting to me how little we pray when we consider the power that is found in prayer. The benefits to our lives that are found in prayer and how little we make use of it. 
If we understood the fullness of what prayer did for us, we'd be praying all the time. We'd probably have to excuse ourselves from people to say, excuse me a moment, I need to speak to the Lord a moment. Or if you can give me a few minutes, I have a few minutes over here. Instead of the other way around, how many times do we interrupt our time that we set aside for praying for other people? And, and Paul says, this is something that's the heart of God. This is the mind of Oh, the riches, the fullness of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. These are things that He's given to us that help us to know His heart, His mind on these things. Number 13, uh, verse number 13, uh, contribu- distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. I'm thankful we have a generous church. I hope we never lose this idea of trying to be a blessing to those that are in need, especially those that are of the household of faith, those that are in our church, and those that are hurting, their brothers and sisters in Christ. If it's within our means to do so, let us do so. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Again, practical things that are helpful in this life today. Given to hospitality. Uh, I don't know what it is about Indiana people. Uh, but Indiana people, out of all the people I've been around in my life, are probably some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. And by hospitable, I mean they're fat. <clears throat> now, those of you that are listening from Indiana today, let me explain that. My family, my mom and dad both were from Connersville, Indiana. Their families were from Connersville, Indiana. And I remember growing up as a kid, going to visiting uh, my relatives, whether it be my grandma and grandpa or aunts or uncles, cousins, it didn't matter who it was, we would go up, we'd go to their house. And we were not in their house more than usually two or three minutes. Usually it was, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, I love you so much. And they'd give you a big hug and they'd say, come on, they'd grab your luggage and take you in. And the next words out of their mouth were, are you hungry, son? I baked you a pie because I knew you were coming. And you know, in Indiana, hospitality means I'm going to feed you something. But you know, that's, that's their nature. That's their culture. And it's not just one or two people, and it wasn't even just my own family. I've been to other places in Indiana, and it's just the, 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 the region of the country. That's the way people are. Come on in. I, you, know, you, want a, you want a cup of coffee? You want pie? Come on in. Let me be hospitable to you. Let me show you my kindness. You might be ruining their day. You might be intruding on their schedule, and they're still going to treat you with kindness. Can I tell you this? I don't think Indiana people ought to be the only people like that, according to Scripture, as God's people, there ought to be a sense of hospitality about us. Paul says it this way, we ought to be given to hospitality. You know, it was said of Aquila and Priscilla that they had addicted themselves to the ministry. They, it, they took it as their ministry to try to be a blessing and a help to those that were laboring in ministry. Why? Because they knew the gift of hospitality. Notice he says this, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. That's a hard one to do, isn't it? That's one that we don't like to do. Our old flesh nature, boy, I'll tell you what, they, they spoke about me. They were sitting there, boy, and, and then we wish we wish something bad would happen to it. We won't say it, but we'll sign our name to the bottom of it if somebody else will write it. Boy, I wish somebody would take care of that person. Or then we see something maybe go wrong in their life that, that is bringing them low, and we rejoice in it. Boy, that's not a good thing, is it? The Bible says that we're to bless them which persecute and bless and curse not. I've had some people in my life that have treated me wrong, hurt me bad. I mean, hurt me very bad. People that were lifelong friends sometimes. And at the end of the day, when when things got very difficult, 
They abandoned me. They spoke evil against me. They slandered me. Only to find out a year or two later some heartache came into their life. Can I tell you, it is one of the hardest things to not rejoice and be gleeful that they're getting their due. You need to pray for them. There are even times I've told my kids over and over and over again, you know the quickest way to get rid of an enemy? Make them your friend. My kids, I don't know how many times, came home from school. Dad, I had a rough day. This kid was picking on me. If they were in this room today and I said, kids, what do I always tell you to do? You know what they'd say? They'd say, buy them a card and a candy bar. Tell them you're praying for them. But dad, they hurt me. Buy them a card and a candy bar. Tell them you're praying for them. Why? Because that's what the Bible expects us to do. That's the mind of God on the issue. doesn't mean you have to condone their sin. But it does mean that we need to bless them that curse us. We need to bless them that uh, persecute us. Notice he says this, verse 15, we're almost done. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. That one's not hard to do very often. Except when somebody else gets a new car and you're driving a clunker and you're like, Lord, why didn't you let that happen to me? But rejoice with them that do rejoice. And the Bible says this, weep with them that weep. I've, I've shared this with a number of people over the years. In fact, I just shared with a fellow this week. When you're going through some of the darkest valleys of your life and you're trying to figure out why, make heads or tails of it. Rest, the, rest in this thought. That it very possibly could be that God is putting you through that because He can trust you to go through it. Knowing that when you come out of it, you're going to be able to be a help to somebody else who cannot go through it by themselves. Learn to weep with them that weep. You may go through some valleys getting to that point, but learn to weep with those that weep. Feel their pain. Come alongside of them and bear the load. Verse number 16, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own seats. The idea of having a spirit of humility. This is the mind of God for a Christian. And number 17, verse number 17, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. These are just practical thoughts. I mean, to look at the list, you'd say some of these are disassociated. They don't even connect with each other. It's almost as if Paul said, all the riches of the fullness, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Let me give you a, a list of examples here. And he starts giving us a list of these things that are God's heart and God's mind. It's almost the way he does this and approaches this. An unconnected list of things that this is the way God would expect you and I as Christians who have given their bodies as a living sacrifice to behave. And this is not even extraordinary. It's simply reasonable. It's just Christianity 101. You look through that list and there's some things you can say, boy, I don't have a problem with that one, but I can't promise you this. If you look through the whole list... Every single one of us here can find one or more that we can say, boy, I, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. I want to be pleasing to God. If these are His mindsets on my conduct as a Christian, then I want to work on them. I want to become like that because I want to please Him. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word. 
a very practical lesson this afternoon, Lord, not, not anything that's profound truth or doctrine, just some practical helps of the way you intend for us to live your